So you can, as Dave said, you can pick up our budget this year and it'll give you an idea of kind of what we're doing and what we're planning and where we're going. And there's a message on the back, not only from me, but from our uh, uh, elder chairman, uh, Dale Dryley. And uh, we'd love you to just kind of go through that. And if you have questions, uh, the elders are going to be available uh, for Q&A following services in the next couple of weeks. So you have an opportunity to ask whatever questions you want, whether it's on the budget or other things like that. They would love to meet with you, and generally they meet up in the conference room. And you'll see more information about that if you're interested in that. Um, Dave said our annual vision gathering is going to take place in two weeks. That's the 21st of Sunday at 4 o'clock. Not here. Not not here. It's going to be at the Roshek building. And so... Uh, don't show up here because you won't. We won't be here. There, Nelson will be here with the kids, and you'll have to take care. You'll have to handle the the high school and junior high kids. So that should be an incentive enough to be at the meeting and not here. Um, let me give you a, a few highlights of the budget so I can you can uh, know kind of where, where where it's at. For the last three years, the budget's kind of been flat. We haven't raised the budget at all. Um, it's not that we wouldn't want to, but we felt like we, we couldn't, so we didn't. Um, this fiscal year, our budget will increase 7.9%. That's $115,000. Um, and the reason we're doing that is for a number of things. Costs have gone up. Just health care alone uh, is, is going up, and that's just one thing. Utilities and other things uh, go up. The good news is our growth has been 5.3% uh, over this past year, um, if you weren't, uh, a week ago, last Friday, we had 34 people baptized at Flora Park. Um, so, and after Easter, I had another class, and we had another baptism, and I think we had 8 to 10 people there. So uh, God is working in hearts, and that's what we've been wanting. Uh, a week ago, like I said, 34 people baptized. This coming week, uh, we're going to have our first ever downtown VBS at Kaminsky Park. Uh, by the way, that's Monday through, I think it's through Wednesday, and I think it's 11 to 2. Don't, don't quote me on that, but that's pretty close. Um, and they could use your help and in many different ways. So if you would like to be part of that, uh, you can talk to Amy Danielson. She could give you more information, and she would love to have you uh, help out in that. Um, by the way, the budget uh, documents are at the Connection Center as you uh, go out the door today. And you're welcome to take one. By the way, you don't have to be a member to take one or look into it or ask questions. You, you're more than welcome to do that. Um, another thing that's happened in the last year is we've, we've launched our Roshek campus. And uh, we've kind of done an internal launch. We haven't gone public with it. Uh, there are people that know about it and stuff. And we've had visitors and good attendance down there. But it hasn't been a public launch. Our public launch is going to take place on August 28th. That's the weekend after our annual meeting the last week of an weekend of august that's when we're going to do the ribbing cutting that's when we're going to have uh i think the mayor is going to be there uh john gronin is going to be there and uh, other people so that's going to be kind of our our celebration and, and our public launch you'll see more about that and, and probably you'll see something in the paper and other things along, uh, along those lines um what am i doing uh, this weekend is I'm asking you to not only take the budget and look through it and kind of see kind of where uh, as you give where does that that offering go where does that money go but I'm also asking you to take part in supporting hope financially this coming year um, 
we don't do special bazaars or fall things, not, not making a comment about other churches, but we just don't. Whatever we do is supported either on the giving, on the, during the offering on the weekends, or when you give online. That that's basically covers all of our costs. Um, so I'm asking you to give regularly. I'm asking you to give sacrificially. And I'm asking you to give cheerfully. And uh, when I say regularly, sometimes you say, well, I'm not always there every weekend and I, I can't always do that. Well, the answer to that is push pay. That's the online way. So you can sign up. You can say, I'm going to plan to give this much to the church for the next fiscal year. And you can break that down into whatever increments you want and you'll know that you'll give that amount and so it's it's almost like you're saying i'm going to give this much to we carol and i've done that uh since i've been uh, you know married that's kind of what we've done we said what are we doing this year what is it going to look like and uh, we've been very consistent so you have that that opportunity and i'm going to ask you to do that because we need you to do that um make it a spiritual goal that you're going to give to Hope Church and then keep that goal uh, because I believe those goals are important. Jesus had a lot to say about money. He says, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So uh, this is an opportunity for you to support your church and to allow us in a, uh, to do ministries like MOPS, to do ministries like the, the Roshek uh, campus, uh, you know, the ministries, the new ministries you may have there, to do the VBS uh, that we're going to do at the, the park, to do... Um, just all the different things that we're, we're, we're doing right now. We can't do those without your help and without your support. So um, I'm going to ask you to, to take part in that. And I want you to give faithfully not to hope but to the Lord because that's really what it comes down to. It's your giving to the Lord. And uh, do that as the Spirit leads you. And I will trust the Spirit to lead you the way he knows best, right? Um, just to close, uh, I want... One of the things that I've always wanted uh, as a pastor is I've always wanted Hope Church to be known in the community as a generous, giving church. And, you know, we've said we're having this partnership with Audubon School. um, And the first phase of that is to get classroom supplies for the teachers and backpacks for the kids with some supplies for that. And you obviously can see that. You are responding, and that's not a surprise to me. I expected that, and thank you for that. It just shows the generosity of Hope Church. Um, But to succeed this coming year and to accomplish what we want to do, whether it's at the Roshik campus or at this campus or if it's um, this partnership that we have with uh, Audubon this year, uh, the, the way that we're going to succeed is everyone jumps in and everyone joins our efforts. What I found is really interesting is there is so much good that we can do as a group of followers of Jesus Christ together. There's so much good that we can do. And I would love to be the go-to church in this community where people say, who can we get to help us do this? And they say, well, there's people at Hope and they care about this community. Let's check with them. And so this is an opportunity for us to really take some major steps um, the theme this year was really, I think it was the 1980s, where uh, somebody who was in leadership from uh, the Dubuque area uh, was quoted on national news that when the last person leaves, 
turn the light out. Now, I know Davenport had a similar thing, but it was a Dubuque thing. There were shirts printed and all that other stuff. And what I see going on is a revitalization of the downtown area in the last five years, maybe a little longer than that. And what I see us doing, not just here, because I don't want to focus on the Roshik building completely because we're still here and we're still doing stuff here. <laughs> but what I see is us turning the spiritual light on downtown. And I think God could do some amazing things in the coming year. And who knows what he's going to do. And I just believe that we're on the brink of doing some major things, good things for our city and our community and I want both campuses to be all on deck with everything that we have to serve this community. And that the verse on the front cover of that budget will, would be the reflection of what we want to accomplish this year. And I picked this out. Let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will not praise your pastor, your church, you, but your Father in heaven. That's what we're after. Can we take a moment and pray to that event, that, that effect? Let's do that. And so, Father, that's uh, the vision, the, the, the burden that you've given me this year, that our deeds will shine forth. And the word of the gospel, too. The, the word of the gospel will go with those deeds. Um. Uh, Father, we want to make a difference in this community for your kingdom. We want to help uh, people to come into relationship with you. But we realize that there are, there are huge needs that they have, physical needs that they have, that need that, that some of those we can meet right now and get, an, get, a, get a, an opportunity to have a word that our love will precede our words and father we would pray that you would use this church in both campuses to bless this city to transform this city through the power of the gospel through the power of your people we ask this all in jesus name amen so Everyone in this room is writing a story. You're all authors. Maybe you didn't know that or not. And when you write a story, one of the things that we always want is a happy ending, don't we? We all want a happy ending. And in our passage today, we're going to see something very interesting. You know, the, the thing about a story is this. A story has different chapters. Sometimes they're good, sometimes they're bad. And uh, some of you, your, your story has been going on for a long time. There's a lot of chapters, and most of your chapters have been written. Some of you are just kind of starting out. Your, your, your story has yet to be written. Some of you are in the middle of a crisis in your story, and you're not really sure how it's going to be resolved or if it will be resolved. And so... We're going to look at Joseph, and we're going to finish next weekend, but we're going to look at kind of like a look at some of the events of his life and pull some passages together because I want you to see 
kind of his story. It's kind of the Cliff Notes story of Joseph. And so I'm going to pull a few passages together because Joseph has that aha moment where he sees what God is doing in his story and he goes, oh, got it. And we're going to talk about that because you know what? God isn't just writing Joseph's story. He's writing your story. And so that's what we want to look at. So you're probably going to be best off. Oh, man, I have the verses here. And you're not going to see all the verses on your screen. But you just follow along with me. Um, I'll tell you where we're going. We're going to be Genesis 45, verse 7. This is on page 38. And then I'm going to jump down and I'm going to jump to chapter 46 and 47 and a portion of 48. So I'm going to be like in three chapters and I'm going to read portions. So it's going to be hard to follow. Don't worry about it. Just just listen maybe and just uh, jump over and don't worry too much. Let me start reading. This is Genesis 45, verse 7. Joseph is speaking. He says, God, God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many survivors. So it was God who sent me here, not you. And he is the one who made me an advisor to Pharaoh, the manager of his entire palace, and the governor of all of Egypt. Now we're jumping. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, tell your brothers, take wagons from the land of Egypt and carry your little children and your wives and bring your father. And then he says something very interesting. We'll touch on this towards the end. Don't worry about your personal belongings for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. So Jacob set out for Egypt with all of his possessions. And when he came to Beersheba, he offered sacrifices to God, to the God of his father, Isaac. During the night, God spoke to him in a vision. Jacob, Jacob, he called. Here I am, Jacob replied. I am God, the God of your father, the voice replied. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make your family into a great nation. That's a very important phrase. What God is saying here is he's saying, I'm sending you to Egypt to, to make your family into a nation. Okay? This is significant. Now, remember, the reason that, that Jacob is going to Egypt is because there's a famine in the land and there's no food. And you have to find food. And so Joseph has met with the brothers. He's promised them food. He's promised them land. And so now they're heading to Egypt. So we see the total number of Jacob's direct descendants who went with him to Egypt, not counting his sons, wives, was 66. In addition, Joseph had two sons who were born in Egypt. So although there were, so altogether, there were 70 members of Jacob's family in the land of Egypt. So now we're jumping again. Then Joseph went to see Pharaoh and told him, My father and my brothers have arrived from the land of Canaan. They have come with all their flocks and herds and possessions, and they are now in the region of Goshen. Now we're jumping again. Meanwhile, the people settled in the region of Goshen uh, in Egypt. Notice, there they acquired property, and they were fruitful and their population grew rapidly. Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Lutz in the land of Canaan and blessed me. He said to me, I will make you fruitful and I will multiply your descendants and I will make you a multitude of nations. And I will give you land, this land of Canaan to your descendants after you 
as an everlasting possession. So I want to make a couple comments on just what we've read. The overall story, Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. He was taken in a caravan of Ishmaelites to Egypt. He uh, first was uh, rose to prominence in the Potiphar's house. That was a number of years. Uh, His wife, uh, Potiphar's wife, uh, claimed that Joseph had uh, taken advantage of her, and he was thrown into prison. And in the prison, he rose to the top. And in the prison, he heard the dreams of the baker and the the cupbearer. And uh, the cupbearer was restored. The bakers had his head taken off. And Joseph remained in prison for a couple of more years till Pharaoh had a dream. And then they said, wait a minute, I remember a guy who could interpret dreams. So the Pharaoh, cleaned, Joseph got cleaned up, what brought to the Pharaoh. And Pharaoh, Joseph's, the Pharaoh told Joseph the dreams about the cows that were kind of fat and then they were not. And he said, here's what it means, seven years of good crops and then seven years of famine and you better have a plan because it's going to be hard and so pharaoh says is there anyone as smart as you why don't you manage this so he does and he and so he manages to put the food away and egypt has this stockpile of food and then the seven years of uh, famine come and who's the one who's in charge of the food joseph brothers don't have any food his father says go and to egypt i hear they have food there and he come they come they see joseph and they uh joseph immediately recognizes them uh and but they, they don't recognize joseph and so he puts him through a few tests nelson talked about that last weekend and finally he reveals himself and he says uh go go get dad go get the rest of the family and bring them here I understand what was God. God was sending me ahead to preserve the nation, to preserve the family. So the Bible is God's story of the redemption of the human race. In Genesis 12, we see God choosing Abraham. And he says uh, a a number of he chose Abraham. And then the, the promise went from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob. And so this is really a story about Jacob, not really Joseph. Uh, and then I mentioned in here that, that, that Abraham, God spoke directly to Abraham, God spoke to Isaac, God spoke to Jacob, but he didn't speak directly to, to Joseph. Um, and you don't see that in any of the Joseph story. But here's what's going on here. God is preserving the family of Jacob because this group of 70 people is going to become a nation. It's going to be the, the 12 tribes of Israel. And so that's what's happening here. But God made a promise to, to Abraham in Genesis 12, and I just want you to remind you what the promise was. The first one was, he says, I'm going to make you into a great nation. That's what's going to take place. For 400 years, the, the, the nation of Israel, at least at the beginning, they're going to be guests in Egypt. And they're going to grow from 70 to, to some, some say 3 million people. So this is going to be an incubator for the nation of Israel. And so that's how they're going to become a great nation. This is the first promise, right? Um, and you'll see that in Exodus 1 where the nation of Israel now lo- no longer is a guest, but they're, 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 be, they're slaves. And, you know, God raised up Moses. That's the book of Exodus. But here's the point. He says, I will make you a great nation. I will bless those that bless you. I will curse those that curse you. And then he says, I will give you land. 
The last verse we read, what Jacob is saying is to Joseph is, God told me again that we are going to have this land, the land of Canaan. We're in it. And then he says, I'll give you more descendants than you can count. And one of those descendants will be a blessing to the rest of the world. Now, we know that to be Jesus, the Messiah, the one promised. And he is the one who is going to be God's plan to save the human race. The point I want you to see, secondly, is that God was working actively in Joseph's life. Behind the scenes, he was carrying out his perfect will. Will, And by the way, he doesn't just do that for Joseph, and he didn't just do it for Jacob, and he doesn't just do it for Abraham and Isaac. He doesn't just do it for Moses. He does it for us. God is working behind the scenes, whether you see him or not. Joseph didn't see him working. You couldn't, you know, God didn't say, hey, Joseph, just want to let you know I'm still here, still working. No, none of that was happening. He didn't know. Now, God used Joseph to save his family and the future nation of Israel. As I said, when we come to the end of the book of uh, Genesis, Jacob's family is about 70. When they come out of Egypt, there are probably about 2 million, 3 million people. So God took 400 years to grow a nation out of a family. Now, I want to talk about what do we learn about the plan of God? What do we learn about this whole idea that God is writing a story, that we're writing a story? And the the point I want you to see is that God is actively working with you to write your story. God is actively working with you to write your story. The first thing I want you to see is that you are co-authoring your story with God. Now, you may have thought when I said everybody here is writing a story, and you said, oh, life story, yeah, I guess I am. You are co-authoring that. Maybe you never realized that, but you are. You are co-authoring. Now, Joseph played a significant role in this story, but so did God. In fact, what Joseph came to realize, his aha moment was, I'm not the only one writing this story. God is writing the story. He's writing it behind the scenes. He's actually the writer and producer, and I'm kind of one of the actors. Now, Joseph wasn't saying his decisions weren't important, his attitude wasn't important, his actions weren't important. But what he was saying is, I'm not alone. See, Joseph discovered that God was working behind the scenes, writing a bigger story for, uh, for his father, his family, and himself. Jo- Joseph realized his role in the story. Not his story, but God's story. Now, that is such an important thing for us to grasp. Because sometimes we think it's all about me. It's my story. Joseph says three times to his brothers, three separate times in Genesis 45, God sent me ahead of you. And what Joseph is saying there is, God has been writing my story and I finally figured it out. Now that's going to be important. Because only when you see the world as God's creation, only when we see your, you see yourself as a guest on his planet, only when you see your life is in his hand will you find your purpose and gain a healthy perspective on your life. If you think your life is yours, if you think your story is yours, you don't understand your story. You're not putting it in the bigger cosmic context. In the end, it's his story that we're writing. Now, this is huge because it's a complete shift in the way we live. Instead of looking for what God can do for us, we ask, what can I do for God? How can I serve my Creator? How can I bring glory to Him? It changes everything when we say, okay, my story isn't about me, it's about Him. Now, I exist for His glory. Now, what is my role in His story? 
How will I write? So as I serve him, as I bring glory to him, something incredible happens. I find my purpose. I find my, a new hidden joy. I find a new rich, richness and, and a new healthy perspective on life. Because I realize I exist for his glory, not mine. Well, that's a total shift. Most of the people you come in contact with are living for themselves. And they, they don't know any better. But you do. You do. You understand that he is God and you're not. That he is the potter and we are the clay. That he is, and by the way, that doesn't mean our decisions don't matter. It doesn't mean that we're, we're mindless robots. Anything but that, Joseph was not a mindless robot. In fact, he, if you would ask Joseph, he said, I, this is my life. I'm running my life. And yet, what he found out was he was running his life, but God was running things too. He was writing, co-authoring. The point I want you to see, this first point, is you're co-authoring with God. It's not your story. It's really his story. And the the, the sooner we figure that out, the better. And that's going to be absolutely critical to the next parts that we come to. And the second point I want you to see is this. Your story will have good and bad chapters. Won't Won't it? As some of you have lived a while, you know that. Joseph would say, I had some really bad chapters in my life. Now, he would say, some of those chapters I wrote myself. I was a bad writer. I did dumb things. I deserved some of the stupid things that happened to me. I brought it on myself. Some of the things were due to evil deeds of others, his brothers. He had no, he, he did you know, his brothers were, were responsible for their, and he says that in Genesis 50, 20. We'll look at that next week. He says, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. In other words, he doesn't say, oh, it's not your fault. No, he's saying, it was your fault. But God was writing his story too. And he took your evil deeds and flipped them upside down. Some, some of the bad chapters just because you live in a fallen world. And when you live in a fallen world, bad things happen. Now, maybe you're experiencing some bad chapters right now. Maybe if I were to talk to you, you say, I'm in the middle of a nightmare chapter and I just wish it would be over. And this side of heaven, life will be challenging and heartbreaking. Jesus even said, in the world you'll have tribulation. It's part of the chapters that are being written are hard chapters to, to go through. It's interesting because things from our perspective don't always work out. You know, there's this chapter in Hebrews, and I want you to turn there. It's on page 927 for a minute because I want to read a portion of this. Uh, If you're not aware of it, Hebrews 11 has been called the heroes of the faith chapter. And basically, those people who exercise faith are held up in high esteem and said, these are the these, these people aren't all perfect. That's not what it's saying. It's saying, but these people found ways to show faith at critical times. They, they walked in faith. They walked by faith. That's the whole point of Hebrews 11. Now, you might think that if you walk by faith, everything's going to go smooth. No, no, no. Hebrews 11, and look at verse 33. This is a little bit of length, but I want you to see... I want you to see the tone. This is towards the end of the book of Hebrews. It says, by faith, Abraham, by faith, Moses, by faith, David, by, you know. And then it comes down here and it says, by faith, these people overthrew kingdoms, 
ruled with justice and received what God had promised them. They shut the mouth of lions, Daniel, quenched the flames of fire, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, escaped death by the edge of the sword. Probably, you know, there's many people. Their weakness was turned to strength. They became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight. Women received their loved ones uh, back again from the dead. You say, well, that's great. This is all good news. Look at the last next part. But others were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Some were jeered at, and their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prison. Some died by stoning. Some were sawed in half. And others were killed with a sword. Some went went about wearing skins of sheep and goats, destitute and oppressed and mistreated. They were too good for this world, wandering over deserts and mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. All these people earned a good reputation because of their faith, yet none of them received all that God had promised. In other words, what the writer of Hebrews is saying, even these people who suffered, who had horrible chapters written in their lives, this side of heaven didn't receive what God promised. And then in the last verse it says, For God had something better in mind for us so that they would not reach perfection without us. Here's the point. If your story is tragic today, one day it's going to be epic. It is. That's the hope we have. You know, if your life is really hard, remember this is not the end. This is not the end. The third thing I want you to see is your story may end badly here on earth. The storyline of Genesis ends with Joseph, Jacob, uh, Jacob, Joseph, and his brothers living together in the land of Egypt. You reunited and happy, happy, happily ever after, right? We love happy endings. The problem is many people... Most people, some Christians, think the happy ending has to come this side of heaven. And when it doesn't, they go, God, what are you doing? Happy ending, right? I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of yours. You see, we we need to reject our pop culture philosophy that says, all there is is this. And, And if you don't have a happy ending now, oh, that's too bad. Tough luck. We need to look to forever. We need to look to God for our happy ending. I love what the psalmist says. He says, my health may fail. My spirit may, may, may grow weak. But God remains the strength of my heart. And he is mine forever. Forever. See, we're not promised in this life a happy ending. We are promised a safe landing in his arms in heaven if we have called upon the Lord. If we, we say, Jesus, you're my God, you're my Savior, you're my Lord. John in the book of Revelation tells us of our happy ending. He describes a new heaven and a new earth. The Joseph story shows us that God is working behind the scenes. We may not understand what he is doing, but we are told he is working for our ultimate good. And Joseph was 
privy to know ultimately what God was doing. He finally figured out what God was doing. Romans 8.28 says that we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. So Paul says the same thing, that God is working ultimately for our good. But here's the problem we have. If we think that all there is is this, or that the good has to happen here, or the happy ending has to happen this side of heaven, many of us are going to be disappointed and discouraged and maybe angry with God. Because we prayed sincerely, and we asked God for a happy ending, and God didn't bring one. This side of heaven. Paul said, doesn't say this side of heaven. And by the way, this isn't a promise for everyone on the planet. This is a promise for those who love him. This is a family promise. This verse doesn't promise you a happy ending this side of heaven. And it doesn't promise everyone on this planet a happy ending. But what it does say that if you love God, if you've given your heart and life to Jesus, that one day there will be a happy ending. And it may not be this side of heaven. And you have to be okay with that. The point I want you to see is you can't always tell what God is doing in your story until he's finished. And he doesn't necessarily finish your story when you die. In fact, can I just say this? I don't know why I asked that question. Of course I can. And I will. (laughs) Is it possible... That, the, that your life here on earth is just a preface? And you haven't even gotten into your story yet? It's possible. Maybe it's probable. Philippians puts it this way. Paul says, I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it's finally finished on the day when Jesus Christ returns. Well, that kind of gives us the impression That God's not done until Jesus comes back. Last time I checked, he's not returned. If you know Jesus, your story doesn't end this side of heaven. The best part of your story has yet to be told. Here's another point. Your story doesn't end here on earth. People are confused as to how their story ends. Just people you run into, your neighbors, your friends, your just people you you work with and go to school with they're confused about how does the story how does their story end and some people want to believe that when people die they go to a better place and who wouldn't want to believe that i mean come on you got there's got to be something wrong with you if you don't want to believe that um i mean how dark do you have to be to say no it's you, you die and that's it i mean you know, have you met people that believe that? They're not like the brightest, cheeriest people you ever want to meet. You generally want people, and you know, you've been around funerals, and you've been around family and friends, and they'll say they're in a better place. And don't you think in your head, yeah, I knew Charlie. I don't know if he's in a better place. They want to believe that, there, that a loving God would never send people to hell. Well, maybe Hitler, maybe Stalin, maybe Pol Pot, maybe some of those really bad, bad people. But I would ask, where do they get that idea? Where do they get the idea that God is a God of love? Where do they get that idea? My guess is they get it from the Bible. So... Uh, 
But here's the thing. You can't just take part of what you get from the Bible and not the other part. And what the Bible says is that we all have two big problems. And here they are. Our biggest problem is we have a sin problem and a God problem. The problem is that we're sinners and God is holy. <laughs> that, that we cannot dwell with God in our current state. That uh, uh, So, because if God just sends everyone to heaven, then heaven's going to be kind of a crazy place. There's going to be people there that don't want to go there, be there. We need a God who has both love and justice. Otherwise, what do we do with the evil people of the world? Who's going to ultimately judge Hitler? Who's going to ultimately judge people who have done terrible, awful, evil things to children? We say, well, we want justice. And, and the Bible says, uh, you don't, don't you take justice into your hands the Lord, I, the Lord, will handle it. So the Bible teaches that God, he's a God of justice, but he is also a God of love. But you can't have a God of justice, uh, of just a God of love with, with no justice. Now, if you have a God of justice, that means he's got to deal with sin, not just big sins, but every sin. Now, how's he going to do that? The problem is everyone in this room is a sinner. And so um, religions have come up with interesting solutions to that i'm not going to get into that but the point i want you to see is that we have a problem that god is is perfectly holy and perfectly good and that we're not and god can't dwell with people who aren't perfect some people many people today live as though this life is all there is and they have you know you see people who know that they don't have much time and they say well i need to have a bucket list and frankly don't really care whether they do it. I'm not trying to make a statement about that. But some people say, if I don't experience it all now, I'll miss out on it. Right? Have you ever feared that? Have you ever thought, if I don't marry, I'll miss out on something. If I don't do this, I'll miss out on something. If I don't do, I'll miss out on this. And, 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 and I understand that that thing even christians who believe in heaven have we have a woefully inadequate view have you noticed something that people aren't and especially christians aren't really excited about heaven oh i guess if i have to go someday hopefully when i'm really old and done everything fun then we can go to heaven god can button it up and we'll do whatever we do in heaven doesn't sound like we're too excited about that. C.S. Lewis had a beautiful picture. And he said that sometimes we on earth, Christians, are kind of like a little kid playing in a mud puddle. And we're so, um, we're so uh, fascinated by this mud puddle. And we say, I just want to play in this mud puddle. And, and the mother finally says, we need to go to the ocean. You need to see the ocean. And, and, and the, the, the little boy says, no, I want to play in my mud puddle. But the mother knows the ocean, and the ocean's pretty cool. And it's wonderful, and there's sand, and there's, it's waves, and it's just so cool. And you go, to the, you go to the ocean, and you'll forget all about the mud puddle. And what Lewis was saying is, 
that will we hold on to earth so tightly and say, this is it, this is all there is. We're playing in a mud puddle. But there's an ocean waiting for those who love Christ. The part that I thought was interesting in this test of the text is Joseph uh, tells his father, he says, bring all the family and we'll send you carts. Bring all the family. Come to Egypt. Don't worry about your stuff. You don't need your stuff. We got stuff here in Egypt. I mean, we got real stuff. I mean, it's cool stuff. I mean, it, you'll look at this stuff and you'll say, wow, that's stuff. I mean, that's really good stuff. So don't bring your junk here. We'll just burn it anyways. It's not worthy of Egypt. Basically, what he was saying was, Egypt is far beyond what you could dream of. It's an incredible place. It's more than you'll ever... And Joseph basically was saying, they don't need that stuff. Because when you get to Egypt, you'll have everything. The point I want you to see is that our best day on earth will pale to our worst day in heaven. I don't even know if there are going to be worse days in heaven. I mean, I'm trying to use make an illustration, which is woefully inadequate. But my point is that sometimes we say, but I'm going to miss out. And I'm just going to say, you know what? My guess is we're going to be in heaven. And you're going to go, what was I thinking? I was playing in a mud puddle. And I'm, now I'm, in the o- I'm, I'm by the ocean and I'm going, this is crazy good. But the more important message is for the believer, there's always a happy ending. There's always a happy ending. And the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. So what's your story? What chapter are you in? Do you know the author? Do you understand that you're co-authoring? You say, well, how could Joseph forgive his, his brothers? Because he knew there was another author writing the story. And until he figured that out, it was all about Joseph. But then he realized, no, it's all about God, and he's using me, and he used my brothers. He's something else. God is something else. Maybe your ch- current chapter is not going well. In fact, maybe it's going really bad. You may be asking, is there hope? Yes. This side of heaven? I don't know. Maybe not. But there is the other side of heaven, for sure. Absolutely, completely, totally. I love the words from... It was made into a song, Thomas More, and he writes this. Earth has no sorrow that heaven cannot heal. Earth has no sorrow that heaven cannot heal. For those people who love God, this is a reflection of our hope. No matter what chapters we may be in this side of heaven. Would you stand with me? Let's pray. And so, Father, there is hope, there is joy, there is life beyond the grave. And we do not know how this life will end for any of us. But we know 
that the end of our life here on earth is not the end of our life. In many ways, it's the beginning of real life. Help us, Father, this week to remember that we are co-authoring this story, that you are working behind the scenes. Help us to see you and to see the chapters that you're trying to write in our lives, that you have a plan and a purpose for everything that comes into our life, that you're not surprised by it, that you know it, and best of all, that you can understand when we cry out to you in pain and fear and, and dismay and frustration and discouragement, we can cry out to you and you understand completely what we're going through. Because your son entered the world and suffered like we did and like we do. Thank you that we have somebody who understands our plight. So, Father, for those in the middle of a bad chapter right now, a horrible chapter right now, may they see that there is hope, that the best chapters in their lives have yet to be written. We thank you for this hope because of Jesus Christ, who died for our sins, was buried and rose again on the third day. And as he rose, so will we who have placed our faith in him. We give you praise and thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.